On this episode of Creepy Chisme, we've all heard of a suicide pact, but what about a murder pact between two lovers? Come hear the chilling story of Kelly Cochran, the devil woman of Michigan. Then, the very chilling story of Taylor Shabiznis, a real-life black widow who was recently convicted of one of the most extreme cases I've ever heard. All this and more, so come join in, if you dare. Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore, and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente, it's your girl Lore. How are y'all doing? I am doing good. And aliens are fucking real, I told you. I told you. Yes, our government has come out and said that yes, aliens are real. And they even have some. Yeah, crazy. I don't want to get too into it because y'all know I'm saving up for a rainy day for a good episode on aliens, which I would actually love to have. My friend Albs joined me on that episode, which, by the way, I just interviewed on his podcast. It's Giving What If. So much fun. Go check it out. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, look anywhere podcasts are available. Also, go follow him on Instagram. Leave us a five-star review. Definitely check it out. We talked just chisme galore. We talked toxic friendships and family and spooky shit and we played some games that were really fun to do. (laughs) So thanks for having me, Alps. Super excited. Um, And yes, I'm definitely going to contact you to to have you on soon. But yeah, how y'all doing for real? Um, I'm back at work. The summer is over. And I just, I realized that I'm not a summer person. I've never been, but this summer, like, I just was like, oh, like, I didn't want to do anything. It was so hot and disgusting outside. I think I need to move more north. I'm, I'm a northerner. Like, I, I can't do hot. Mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I used to think, oh, it's just because I'm a thick girl, you know, but even when I wasn't as thick as I am right now, I still couldn't do hot. So I don't know how people enjoy hot. (laughs) But yeah, summer's over, back to work. I usually come on here, you guys know, and I complain about how awful the beginning of the school year is with the kids. Uh, Which, by the way, if you're new here, which on my unplanned hiatus, I have gained quite a following. So, hello, welcome, this is Creepy Chisme. (laughs) And yeah, I work in education and it's not for everybody. (laughs) Sometimes I question if it's for me. (laughs) But yeah, I can't complain. I'm not going to complain this year because last year, if y'all remember, it was pretty bad. And 
and it never got better. So this year, I'm not even going to complain. And my goal is like, go with the flow. Just go with the flow. Let it happen. You'll get through the year. You always do. Teachers, I'm with you. Anyway, I have some fun planned because it is spooky season. It's here. It's here. I know it's not September 1st yet, but it's like right around the corner. So in my mind, it's here. And I think that's why my mood has changed. I think that's why I'm feeling inspired and excited. Honestly, not even like three days ago, we had temperatures in the hundreds. Even in my house, the air conditioning didn't feel like it was working. It was that hot one day. Today, it's 55 degrees out. It's like there's a cool wind. Ugh. It just has me so excited. I had to go to Dunkin' and get my pumpkin spiced frozen coffee. Mm, mm, mm. Try it if you haven't. And I'm not really a pumpkin. Pumpkin. Oh my gosh. That's another Midwesterner thing. <laughs> or is it just me? I say pumpkin. Pumpkin? <laughs> oh God. Don't crucify me. Pumpkin. I'm not a pumpkin spice girl, but I do enjoy one every now and again. And today feels a little fallish, so I went to get one. And it made me happy, so treat yourself, y'all. But yeah, so spooky season is coming. I have a few people that I've been talking to and hopefully can get on the podcast. So just stay tuned. I don't know if they're going to happen. Um, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but my niece, who has joined me on previous episodes, is going to be 15, and we have like a month until her quinceanera, and if you're a Latino out there, you know that a quinceanera, no, don't say it's a sweet 16, it is not a sweet 16, it's more than that. I compare it to a wedding, so we have shit to do. And um, pretty much every weekend's going to be something. So I I'm going to do my best. And I think my idea for spooky season actually might fit better with that schedule that I have coming up. So yeah, just stay tuned. And who knows, there might be like another Halloween special or special guest. You never know. I also have some interviews coming up. I just did one with Alves. Like I said on the podcast, it's Giving What If. Be sure to check it out before you forget. And um, I have another one scheduled and then I just scheduled another one. So <laughs> your girl is working, okay? But so I'm excited for those and I'll definitely be promoting those as they happen. So yeah, Creepy Cheese is doing fine. It's exciting to see my numbers still growing even though I haven't touched it in a few weeks. So yeah, like I said, hello new gente. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this episode, especially if it's your first. I don't want to talk too much. I want to get right into the episode because y'all know that lately my updates have been thriving and I have some more for you. Now, these are a little bit old stories now, but I still want to talk about them um, because I had this outline written out a while ago. So let's get right into it. It's time for an updater story I've recently heard. I love a good what the fuck story and this news definitely made me say what the fuck. 
31-year-old George Bone was taken in by Las Vegas police after it was discovered he was living with his dead roommate for over two months. On July 26, the family of the victim, Beverly Ma, called an AC repairman to fix the unit because the bill they had recently gotten was insanely high. The repairman showed up and said that nobody was at the apartment, so they gave him the key code. Weird, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable doing that, but okay. He shouted up the stairs, but nobody answered. And after not hearing from Beverly in a while, the family decided to check up and find out what was going on. Now, Bone was at the residence, and when asked where Bev was, he replied that she had been dead and gone for a while. The family immediately called the police, and while on hold, they asked Bone why he didn't call police. He said, because I didn't want to go to jail again. You see, Bone is a repeat sex offender, and even did time in 2011 after having relations with a minor under 14. Two years before that, he sexually assaulted an 11-year-old girl. So he then tells his roommate's family where they can find the body. But he says, why would you want to see it? He also claims he didn't call police to pretty much enjoy his last bit of freedom. I'm assuming that meant ordering over 170 items from Amazon on his roommate's Amazon account. But yeah, he knew he was going to end up in prison. According to him, mostly because he's a man of color. <laughs> what color? He's a pasty whatever he is. <laughs> so he pretty much prolonged it as much as he could, he said. Mind you, he's saying all this to the family as he's casually brushing his teeth. So he leads them upstairs to a bedroom and tells them that she was in the closet. A cooler was placed in front of the doors and towels had been shoved into the gap at the bottom of the doors. So when police arrived, he tells them he and Beverly knew each other from high school, but it did become romantic once he got out of prison in 2019. He also told them about the sex offender thing, and he claimed he and Bev argued a lot. He claimed she had a lot of issues, and the family admits that yeah, she did, she didn't talk too much with them, but she also didn't ignore them. Bone said he came home on May 5th or 15th, he can't really remember, and found Beverly in the closet, sitting down with a belt around her neck. He says he panicked and covered her with a blanket. He told them he used her phone and sent out a text on July 4th to a friend saying that she wouldn't be attending a 4th of July party. He also confessed to the Amazon purchases, and he told police he was scared to go back to jail. He also said he put the cooler in front of the closet because he thought she might rise from the dead, like in the movie The Grudge. Okay. He kept the air cold in the apartment to keep any flies away. So here's the crazier part, as if it could get any crazier, right? On May 4th, police received a call from Beverly's cell phone, where you can clearly hear a man and a woman arguing. She's heard saying, why? And then it cut off. When police were sent to the apartment, no one answered the door, so they left. Now, given how upfront and willing to confess Bone was, I kind of thought, okay, maybe. Just maybe his story is true. She took her own life and he took advantage of that. But police said that they know for a fact that this was not a suicide attempt. 
I'm not sure if they were serious, but when Bone was confronted, he admitted that he didn't know how to dispose of a body. The police interview ended with Bone saying, Since my truth is sounding so much like lies, I think I should get an attorney. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> what the hell? So, I mean, I don't know all the information. I do know he was uh, denied bail, so he's awaiting trial. Yeah, he's looking pretty guilty, but they also have to have, like, factual evidence that he truly did kill her. And for police to say, oh yeah, even though there was a belt around her neck, like, we know she didn't do this. Yeah, so. <laughs> I just, it was crazy. But the fact that he, like, had that thought that she was going to come back and get him kind of makes you think, like, okay, yeah, he's definitely guilty because he's afraid she's going to come back and get him. And... Like, who? I mean, he, the dude's living a freaking horror movie. He's living in his own horror movie, and he chose to live it for two months. Now, this next update I contemplated talking about, but it needs to be talked about. Let's talk about this Carly Russell bitch. Not giving too much here, because she is messed up for real. But real quick, if you live in another country, this girl, she called 911, and she claimed that she saw a toddler walking on the side of the highway. It was like the middle of the night. I don't know. Now, she claimed to have pulled over and then the call just goes out. Police then found her car abandoned and her purse and phone and everything was just left in the car. I think her car was on too. Everyone went wild. I remember the story blowing up on TikTok. People were like trying their best because they also released like a security footage of her pulling over and then like you see her walk off and then it's really hard to see anything so i remember like people on tiktok were like dissecting the video um how do you say that night visioning it yeah it was crazy everyone was looking for her the internet was looking for her the police were doing a search and rescue because there was a wooded area near where she pulled off and yeah it was a mess it was a hot ass mess so 49 hours after she disappears. She just shows up at her family's house and knocks on the door. So they end up taking her to a hospital and I think her story was that she was taken by a man because I remember um, her boyfriend had posted something on Instagram about please respect our privacy. She's just had the most traumatic experience. So I don't know if she lied to them too. I really don't understand. <laughs> it's all a jumbled mess. I guess at the hospital she couldn't get her story straight. And that's when police began questioning, like, what is going on? She ended up caving and explaining that it was a hoax. Not sure why. She has not released why she did it. Police later found that she had done some searching on the internet days before. She looked up some weird shit. But um, she also, the night of, went to Target and bought a bag of snacks, which she took with her. Here we all are thinking the worst, and this bitch is sitting up in the forest, like, making a s'more, you know? Sin vergüenza. But yeah, so the next day they publicly announced that she lied and everyone was pissed. Everybody was pissed. Now here's the fucked up thing, though. She really is getting off really easy. She only got a $2,000 fine because there's actually no laws against something like this. But I'm pretty sure because of this specific case, 
it's going to change. Because people were like, uh-uh, like put her ass in jail. Yeah. I mean, just think of all the hours spent, the authorities searching the woods for her. But like I said, it hasn't been fully announced like why she did it or what she was thinking. But I'm pretty sure we're going to be hearing the words mental illness with this. So we shall see. Now, speaking of missing persons, an 18-year-old girl who was missing for years, I think since 2019, just waltzed into a police station and was like, Hi, how do you remove yourself from the missing persons list? Her name is Alicia Navarro, and she went missing just days before turning 15, and she even had left a note for her mother. They lived in Arizona, and where she was found was all the way up in Montana. Now, Alicia is on the spectrum, and her mother thinks someone took advantage of that. I will say she's definitely on the low end of the spectrum because she was very clear and conscious when talking to police. Now her mother says that Alicia used to play a lot of online games and it was always speculated that she met someone on there and ran off with them. And it just might be true. It might be, you know. But anyway, shortly after the girl was questioned, the video called and she claimed that she was happy and she was fine and she wasn't ready to go home. So, of course, police went to the apartment she was at and found that a man also lived in the apartment. I believe the man was, like, double her age or pretty close to. Uh, he was taken in for questioning, but he was let go, so I don't know what happened there. It's all still under investigation, and police say that this is only the beginning of this, and they have thrown the term Stockholm Syndrome around. And honestly, that's exactly what I thought of at first. But I don't know. I don't know. Whatever the case, I'm super interested to know what happened and how she got so far from home on her own. I'm pretty good with my intuition, y'all know this. And in reading her story and hearing her and looking at her, yeah, the guy she's with may be a lot older. But just, I don't know. I want to hear what she has to say. I hope she's honest. Because, you know, maybe she did run away from home. You know, maybe she was... Not happy at home. Just trying to be positive, okay? Now this last story I read is actually really, really sad. And like super infuriating. Now you know the news is bad when it makes its way across the big blue pond. So back in 2014, Australian police in Queensland were notified of child abuse photos that had surfaced on the dark web. Ever since, they have been trying to nail the sick individual responsible. Now, in the 12 years since, they've received more tips and pictures, but have finally found the person responsible. The investigation led to a childcare worker who they now say is possibly the worst sex offender in Australian history. He has been slapped with over 1,623 charges and growing. Now, not just in Queensland either. We're talking Brisbane, Sydney, and overseas as well. But it's wild how they found him. So they took some of those photos, of course, censoring a lot of the image, and posted them on an international victim identification database, asking for help in identifying any of the victims. It wasn't until 2022 they were able to identify and trace some of the photos to a Brisbane childcare facility. Now sometime between 2013 and 2014, they raided the place and that's how they were led to the 45-year-old man. After searching his home and all the electronic devices he had, they allegedly found over 4,000 images and videos of child abuse. All types of abuse. It's really disgusting. 
the sad excuse of a human, honestly. Now, they are looking for more victims to come forward. It took years, but imagine how many more children would have been abused as well. So awful. I read this and just sat in disbelief and felt sick to my stomach. I've said it before, and I'll always say it. Humans are fucking awful, just like the two women in my stories today. It's time to get creepy. Now, I know I always give a trigger warning in the beginning of my episodes, but y'all, for real, trigger warning for these next two cases I'm about to share. If you don't really like true crime, if you don't like the gore, the crazy details, then don't listen. I won't get upset. I promise. Just go back and re-listen to another episode. Um, I figured since I'm going to do some spooky paranormal stuff coming up for spooky season and try to stick to like ghosts and hauntings and stuff, I would do a nice true crime one for you guys today. So now I won't say it's rare to hear cases about murderous women, but it's not as often as men. I swear, I 100% believe that women are the scariest in terms of killings because men are trigger happy most times. They kill out of anger, revenge, you know, whatever. But women, they plan and put their all into these murders. Women are the nastiest when it comes to killing. At least that's my opinion anyway. So today you're going to hear two gruesome cases with women who are the devil incarnate. Like they scare the shit out of me. One case is fairly new and I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before back last winter when it happened, but the trial just concluded and there's a lot more detail. I've been watching it all and having literal nightmares of this woman's face. Her eyes are black, I swear. But before I spew the cheesement on that, let's start with another crazy ass case. This first one is about the devil woman of Michigan, Kelly Cochran. Now Kelly grew up in Maryville, Indiana. It's about an hour from Chicago, maybe. Maybe a little less. But it's not like the best town to live in. The way I describe Maryville and that part of Indiana is like a mix of blue-collar workers, retired people. It's aight. But growing up there for Kelly, there really wasn't much for her to do. She got into a bit of trouble as a teenager, and she started doing some pretty hard drugs. Now, while in high school, Kelly meets Jason Cochran. They were on and off, but together for most of high school. They actually were neighbors and grew super close to each other. So close, in fact, they ended up getting married as soon as they graduated in 2002. Now, Kelly and Jason vowed to each other after their marriage that they would kill anyone who they might cheat with. Because, you know, that's the normal thing to do, right? The normal thing to talk about when you get married. Now, most times it's like, if you cheat on me, I'm gone. Not, I'm going to end that person's life. Which, by the way, (laughs) I never understand, like, when somebody cheats on someone, the partner gets, like, so mad at the person that they cheated on you with. It's like, no, get mad at your partner. 
Get mad at your husband, your wife, the one who cheated. Like, don't get mad at the other person. They're just, you know, trying to find the one. So friends of the couple, they say that Jason Cochran was kind of a jealous person. They both were, though. They both were the jealous type. Now, for the most part of their marriage, Jason worked servicing pools. But after about 10 years, he injured himself or hurt his back somehow. So being the main breadwinner, they quickly fell into debt. Kelly worked here and there, but they just couldn't get back on track financially. However, in 2013, the couple abruptly packed up and moved off to the small town of Caspian, Michigan. When asked why they left, the story was they moved to a place that Mary Jane was legal, so that Jason had access for his back pain. So, Kelly gets a job at this factory that manufactured mining equipment, and here she meets a man named Christopher Regan. The two quickly hit it off, so much so that they become lovers, lovers, and friends. I love that song. <laughs> now, there was a 20-year age gap between the two, but that didn't matter. They were having fun. Now, Christopher was also cheating because he had a girlfriend, too, named Terry. Terry quickly caught on and knew her man was up to no good. So she confronted him, and he pretty much told Terry that it was it was just a fling. It was just sex. He was a man with a super high sex drive, and he just wanted someone with the same drive, but he did love Terry. It meant nothing to him. But Terry, being the smart woman she was, still called it quits. However, she still loved him, and they remained good friends. They talked every evening, and... She felt that he loved her too. In an interview with Crime Watch Daily, Kelly Cochran's brother says that Kelly cheated on her husband two or three times that he knew of, mostly for the fact that he felt that Kelly and Jason really didn't belong together. He described his sister as a go-getter, and Jason was more of a laid-back type. So yep, one's a cheater, always a cheater, and that's the truth. So anyway, Kelly and Chris were meeting up often, four to five times a week often. And this went on for months. Kelly lived in the town over from Chris, so she would come to his apartment in the very small town of Iron River. And we know that in small towns, the chisme spreads, right? So Chris messes up his knee somehow at work, and... He can't keep working at the factory. He needs knee surgery and he realizes that he's going to need a new job as soon as possible to pay for the surgery and just, yeah. So he lands a really good job in Asheville, North Carolina. So he starts packing up and he gives his two weeks at work and he calls up his ex-girlfriend Terry. He tells her the good news and that he has a physical the next day for his new job. And he wants to go out and celebrate his new move and the new job. So something strange happens. On October 14, 2014, Kelly claims she called Chris and lured him over to her house for sex. Now, if you're cheating on your spouse, it's probably not a good idea to invite them into your home. Invite your lover into your home, right? That's just gross, honestly. And the lowest of the low... But Chris went anyway. Kelly had promised him that her husband was going to be out for the day. Now, before I get into the incident here, all of this info mainly comes from Kelly herself. And this is what she confessed 
to police. As soon as Chris arrived, he and Kelly, they just get down to business. And as they are in the middle of it, Jason appears and shoots Chris in the head. Now Kelly admits that she and Jason agreed to this plan due to their murderous wedding pact. It wasn't like, oh, husband finds wife in bed with lover and rage kills him. Which honestly sounds like a more sane story than the one Kelly shared, but alright. So after Chris was killed, the couple then decided to spend the night dismembering the body. Now one neighbor says they remember hearing power tools being used throughout the night and they thought that was kind of weird. So according to Kelly, they then took the body and spread it out in a wooded area, then dumped his car outside of town. But Jason and Kelly messed up. Yes. Because inside the car was a paper with written directions to the Cochrane residence. Oh lordy. I love when shit like this happens. It's kind of like an F.U. from the murdered victim. You're not getting away with this. Here's this piece of paper with the directions to my killer's house. So police head to the Cochrane residence. You see... Almost immediately, police were looking for Chris because, remember, he was supposed to meet his friend Terry. Well, when Chris didn't show up for their dinner, Terry knew that something was really wrong. She notified the police the next day when Chris still hadn't called or contacted her or responded to her. And her intuition felt strongly that the woman Chris had been messing with had something to do with this. Always listen to your intuition, right, Mihenthin? So yeah, police find his car and the written directions led them to Kelly and Jason. They question them and Kelly admits that she was having an affair with Chris. Jason also admitted that he knew they'd been having an affair too, but they both claimed they didn't know where he was. They did search their home, but found nothing. So here's some chisme, because y'all know that's why I'm here, right? Now, this has never been proven, but later after Chris was found, a neighbor recalls that the same week of the murder, Jason and Kelly had a huge barbecue. Mm-hmm. And they invited, like, a lot of people, all the neighbors, and there was just, like, a bunch of food. They had burgers and sausages. And one neighbor says he remembers that the burgers tasted off. Like, not normal beef. The neighbor also said that for having just murdered someone, the Cochrans were, like, in a very cheery mood. But it's never been proven. <laughs> but later you'll hear that not all of Chris's body had been found. Think what you will, but I'll never be eating at my neighbor's barbecue ever again. So Kelly and Jason decide that since police are bothering them, they pack up and leave. They skip town. They move back towards Indiana, this time staying in Hobart. Things get a little quiet, but then Caspian police receive a call that one of their suspects, Jason Cochran, was in critical condition and dying. What happened? What happened was Kelly purposely gave Jason a lethal dose of heroin and then tried to smother him with a pillow just to be sure that he was dead. Once the autopsy report came back, it stated cause of death was asphyxiation. Kelly was nowhere to be found, though. The bitch up and left. But on April 29th, Kelly's cell pinged to Wingo, Kentucky. She was found and taken into custody there. 
And it didn't take much, but Kelly confessed to all of it. Chris's death and Jason's. So according to Kelly, after what happened with Chris, she just hated Jason for taking her lover. She even said that at one point she had a thought about killing Jason instead of Chris. So she says Jason's murder was a revenge kill. She was quoted saying, quote, I still hate him. And yes, it was revenge. I even the score. End quote. She told them where to find Chris's remains. However, like I said, very few of his remains were found. During interrogations, Kelly was found to be a compulsive liar. Wah, wah. <laughs> She's found great joy in sharing her stories by doing interviews and documentaries. Now, in some of these interviews, she has admitted to having murdered others before. Her brother Colton says he's almost sure that she's responsible for at least nine others. But nothing's ever come up in regards to those. And I think law enforcement is just like content with the fact that she'll spend the rest of her days behind bars for both the murders of Christopher Regan and Jason Cochran. Wow. <laughs> so, um, thoughts. Uh, well, she's a compulsive liar, first of all. So is any of her story actually true? Probably not. Probably like 10% true, maybe 50 if we're lucky. Now, I know a compulsive liar, and literally anything out of their mouth is a lie. They also think they're really good at lying, but they're not. They also don't realize the consequences of their lies and not being honest. They could be at the lowest of the low, and they still don't stop. They just keep lying. It's wild, honestly. It's a mental illness. It really is. So yeah, she's in prison for life. If her brother says she's killed before, I'm curious to know why he thinks that. Like, have some of her friends disappeared? I mean, she's been with Jason Cochran since high school, right? So is he in on it? Like, what's going on? I want to know. I want to know the chisme, right? <laughs> All right. Now, this next case has been my obsession, and I've briefly summarized the crime before, but now we have more details. And as I titled this episode, The Devil in Disguise, the image of this murderous monster's face just haunts me. Chills to the core. Chills all the way down to the tips of my nail beds on my toes like it's she's oh ugh. okay I watched the entire trial and you know how they keep the camera on the suspect well yeah that's what they did and I'm telling you her eyes were dead have you ever heard somebody say that like their eyes were dead yeah that's her her eyes were dead pure black and lifeless she scares the shit out of me. This is the updated and full story of the real-life Black Widow, a devil incarnate, Taylor Shabiznis. In the early morning hours of February 23, 2022, Tara Pakinich heard the side door of their home slam shut. She knew her son and a friend came to hang out in the basement where her son usually slept. The basement had a mattress and some drawers for clothes, a lot of storage, 
you know, typical basement stuff. There was also a back room for laundry with a full bathroom. So when Tara heard the door slam, she went down to see if her son had left. It was a snowy, cold winter night morning. It was early in the morning, sorry. So she just wanted to make sure that he was home. So she walks down the stairs, doesn't hear any noise, turns on the lights, sees the mattress that didn't have any sheets on it, but they were kind of like bundled up in the middle of it, like it just like a messy bed, you know? Tara looked around, she didn't see anyone or hear anyone, and so she turned to head back upstairs. However, she noticed one of her bathroom towels had been placed over a hardware bucket. It wasn't there before. So she removes the towel, and inside the bucket, she sees the mutilated head of her son, 24-year-old Shad Therian. Now, she wasn't sure of what had happened, or if it really was even fucking real. Like, how does one's mind process seeing a human head in a bucket? It's just not normal, you know? So she calls police, and police are horrified at what they see. Tara informs police that her son had a friend over named Taylor Shabiznes. So, immediately, they head over to her apartment. They locate the vehicle she had been driving, which belonged to her roommate. Police notice some bloody drips and footprints, and as they are looking into the vehicle that she was driving, someone locks the doors and the headlights flash. Taylor then appears at the front door, and they immediately cuff her. They released all this from police body cams, and this girl, while being detained, just keeps smiling. Smirking, and it's horrifying, because she knows what she did. That smirking and smiling is how she sat in court, too. So creepy. So they take her in, and the interrogation video is wild. At first, she's like, I don't know, I don't know what happened, I can't remember... She does let them know that she did pick up Shad. She picked him up around 9.30 p.m. on February 21st, 2022. Another friend had joined them and they went to Taylor's apartment to smoke some marijuana. So Taylor says she left with Shad and they drove to his mom's house where they hung out the entire day in the basement. As she's playing her, I don't know what happened, I can't remember, I don't know, I just... Like, as she's playing her, you know, little game, I don't know if she gets excited or what, but like, she just starts spewing the truth little by little. She admits that they both smoked meth and shot trazodone, I don't know what that is, probably something yucky. Now, Taylor and Shad, they used to date back in high school. They rarely hung out after, but were acquaintances and still knew each other. Now, I will say, Taylor was very open with everything to police after a while. I mean, that's how we got all these details. When police first get her into custody, they want to know one major fact. Where the hell is the rest of the body, right? Now, I'll look for the photo from the basement where it happened, but everyone was confused. The man's head had been mutilated, and there was hardly any blood anywhere. 
I think they found like a small spot on the mattress and they later cut into it to see how far the blood had seeped down and it really wasn't that far down. So yeah, where's the rest of him? So she explains, oh, he's in the basement. Yeah, he's down there and he was just in pieces which she then stored in bins that were around the basement and also in a few duffel bags. I'll get more into my thoughts after I get through this, but I don't understand how that room did not have blood spatter everywhere. Now after the rest of Shad's body is discovered, they begin asking her what happened. Why did she do what she did? So she claims that she and Shad were using these metal chains, kind of like dog collars, to choke each other as foreplay. I mean, it's odd, but a lot of people do this, so whatever. Nothing weird here. But then she says for some reason, she couldn't stop, even after Shad began turning purple and coughing up blood. She clearly admits that she was enjoying it. She enjoyed this. And it turned her on. So much so that she began having sex with his body as she continued to hold the chain on his neck. She then went upstairs to find some knives. You see, her plan was to dismember him and then dump the parts around. But according to her, her words, she got lazy and left with just one box, which I think had like part of his leg. As she's recounting this, she says, quote, Damn, I wanted the head. I can't believe I forgot it. End quote. What, bitch? What did you say? And she's talking to the police, by the way. But she did all this, and yet no blood. So they keep asking her, okay? Because now they found the body. They see it's completely dismembered. And now they're like, how'd you do this? Where's the blood? I mean, they found a bag with his inner organs. I mean, this girl was dissecting this man. So her explanation for no blood was after she finished having sex with the body and messing around with it because she claims she messed around with it, she went to find a bucket and she claims that she pulled Shad's body towards the bucket all the way to the edge of the mattress. She hung his head over into the bucket and began sawing away. She decapitated him and claimed that all the blood drained into the bucket as well as another duffel bag. She then carried them both into the bathroom where it is claimed that she showered with the blood because the shower had been used. I don't know if that's a fact, but at this point, I wouldn't put anything past her. During the trial, even the medical examiner was confused why there was no blood anywhere. The autopsy report showed a numerous amount of cuts and wounds. It was even stated that his feet had been shoved into his chest cavity and his back was filleted. Just, wow. <laughs> like I said, she was literally dissecting this man and just going to town. Like I, oof. So during her interview, she admitted that she blacked out for most of it, but then regained consciousness and thought, well, shit, I'm already this far, so just keep going. Taylor also told police that they'd have fun looking for all his organs because she didn't remember where they were. No, 
No, that's not fun. <laughs> she also asked them if they knew what it was like to love something so much that you kill it. No, not at all. Now this, this line right here, this that she told police, um, have you ever loved something so much that you kill it, makes people think that she has killed before. Not necessarily a person, but maybe like pets, things like that. Hopefully not another person. Lord Jesus, help us. <laughs> but again, I wouldn't put it past her. So yeah, I mean, court was pretty quick and easy for the prosecution because she pretty much told all and that's what they went off of. But in her case, the defense argued that the drugs caused a psychosis and she wasn't in the right state of mind. Now, lots of people do drugs, but they don't murder people, okay? Before her trial, they even tried arguing she was insane, which I knew that was coming because this is insane. And she even attacked her attorney at like the first hearing. And I honestly, I truly think that was all part of the pleading insanity thing you know she wanted to show that yeah she is crazy but it didn't work they did have her evaluated and it came back that she was perfectly fine and completely sane to stand to stand trial during trial it was found that taylor was obsessed with jeffrey dahmer and would search things like jeffrey dahmer walking into court all sexy and jeffrey dahmer's butt Wow, people looked that up? Okay. Now, they interviewed the friend that was with them that night. He was, um, interesting. Didn't really recall anything. I don't even know why they used him as a witness. But he said he had trouble with memories. It, it was fucking weird. <laughs> but anyway, the trial ended in just a few days, and it took a jury a little over 30 minutes to say the bitch is guilty on all charges. Now, final thoughts here. They need to look more at the friend and the roommate because here's my thing. There's no way she did this alone in someone else's house. I mean, I can't even shit in someone else's house. So murdering and dismembering, it's pretty wild. Now, according to the medical examiner, she was not just dismembering. I mean, she was having fun. Cutting here, poking there, stabbing here, trying to put them back together like Humpty Dumpty. Like, I, I don't know, man. I feel like we don't have the full truth here. I feel like it's not even half true. She claimed she dismembered the body in the basement shower, and they did find little tiny pieces of flesh on the drain. But again, very little you know, for as horrific as this body was mutilated. Even the experts are like, where is the blood? Where are, where's evidence? Like on the floor, there was hardly anything on the floor. And that also shows that she was very sane because if it occurred the way she says, she did a great job cleaning. Like she really did. But the only cleaning supplies they found was a pack of Clorox wipes. That's it. Which she admitted to using. Because they asked her, like, how'd you clean it up? And she was like, oh, with the Clorox wipes. <laughs> I just, I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, I'm telling you guys, this woman's face. 
will forever haunt me. Her eyes just give me chills to my knees like it's crazy. Taylor Shabiznis will spend the rest of her days in prison. Thank the Lord. Because she is the bitch that would kill again. For sure. She is a devil in disguise. Thank you for tuning in today, mi gente. I hope you guys enjoyed those insane, insane stories. Definitely two crimes I will never forget. It feels good to be back recording. So hopefully this spooky season is a good one for not just me, but for all my spooky podcasters out there. I really want to give a shout out to Truth or Demons podcast. My girl Stevie is killing it. Go listen to her. Her interviews are so good. Go check her out. Also check out my buddies at Stoner Buddies. Super good podcast. Hopefully they'll have me on soon for an interview maybe. Keep your eyes peeled. Also to once again my buddy Albs on his new podcast. It's giving what if. And it's funny because when I say the title I think of him saying it. So it makes it all the more better. Go listen to my interview with him. It's definitely a good time. You don't want to miss it. And leave them all some love. Please leave them all some love. And while you're doing that, look up Creepy Chisme. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook groups, and TikTok, where I post more short stories. Creepy short stories. So check that out, and um, while you're there, give the podcast a listen. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are available. Don't forget to review, leave a five star, so we can grow our creepy community. If you're new here, welcome once again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you check out my others. If you'd like to share any experiences or creepy stories with me, you can always email me at creepychisme for you. That's the number four, Y-O-U at gmail.com. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend or family member who might like it. Before we go, I told you I would share my plans for the spooky season. So... I'm hoping that by mid-September, end of September, the whole month of October, I want to try and do weekly episodes once again. All things spooky, all things paranormal, hauntings, a lot of hauntings, because your girl's into the hauntings during this time of year, um, monsters, all of it. So that's my plan. I'm going to stick to it. (laughs) I have a three-day weekend coming up this weekend for Labor Day. I'm going to try and get like the first three short episodes done. They are going to be short episodes and they're not going to be like my normal episodes. I think I'm just going to get like right to the topic. I don't know what I'm going to name it yet, so let me think. But definitely stay tuned. Follow me on social media so you can see when that happens and when I post. And subscribe. Subscribe to everything, mi gente. Thank you so much for supporting you, girl. Being here with me today, I haven't missed you. Go enjoy your week, have fun, and as always, gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and don't forget... Stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adios, mi gente.